welcome back to the Church Leaders Roundtable Podcast. I am here this week with my fabulous co-host. I've got Sarah. Hey, everyone. Darren. Welcome back. And Kevin. Hey, hey, hey. And this is Stacy. And uh, this week we are talking about financial principles. And we are counting kind of like uh countering some like advice that people have been given in the christian community and kevin is kind of gonna take it for us we're gonna kind of interview him a little bit and since he has a financial background and we are gonna kind of hand it over to him right now and he can walk us through it so hope you enjoy Well, thanks so much for having me on the show, y'all. Uh, long-time listener, <laughs> long-time caller. <laughs> uh, I can't say that I'm a first-time caller. Anyway, um, yeah, so a big part of my, um, I think if, if we grew up evangelical in any sort of sense, or even just Christians from the early 90s up until today, uh, there's, there's a lot of talk, a lot of, uh, teaching around what your finances ought to look like as a quote unquote, good Christian. Um, there's a lot of things that we can look at a lot of scripture that, you know, we, we see scripture that says, don't be in debt. We see scripture that, uh, where God, uh, commands the Israelites to release all debt every 50 years. Um, of course that's never talked about in evangelical circles circles, but that's beside the point. Um, but specifically there is one, uh, main line of thinking that has pervaded, I think the, the evangelical and Christian mindset. Um, I'm sure a lot of us have probably worked through some of these books. We've worked through, uh, this quote unquote college class is how I'm going to put it. Um, it's not a college class, but you'll 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 pick up what I'm what I'm saying here in a second. I don't want to get sued. Um, and I, I want to start off this whole conversation by saying that the principles that this college gives aren't necessarily bad. They're just unrealistic. Um, not everybody is created the same way. Not everybody has the same job. Not everybody has the same career or the same goals. Um, when I was in, when I was in finance, I would, uh, call people up and there, there are generally accepted financial principles. Um, things like don't be in debt, have an emergency fund, uh, stuff like this, safe for retirement. And whenever I would call somebody up, because that's a main part of what I did was I would call people up all day long and say, Hey, my name's Kevin and, uh, Stacy, uh, your friend Stacy gave me your phone number, and uh, she said that that we've been able to help her out a lot with our financial practice. And Darren, I would just love to uh, sit down with you and share with you what it is that that I do with people, how I help people save on taxes and save up for retirement and meet every single goal that they want to achieve. So with that in mind, can I pencil you down for an appointment for this Wednesday at 10 a.m. in your office? I will bring you a coffee. How's that sound? And then Darren, you would give me some sort of uh, response. Usually, uh, you know what? Uh, wait, who who did you say this was? Well, hey, my name's Kevin. Like I said, I'm I'm Stacy's friend. I sat down with her. I've got a financial practice here in in the financial district, and we sit down with people to help them get their financial life in order. Can you and I sit? Can I buy you lunch on Tuesday at noon? Um, and and this is a big part of what I did. About half the time, because yeah, it was about half the time. Whoever I was talking to on the phone would say, "You know what? Um, actually, my my spouse and I we follow the um, the college class that that churches give across the nation. We follow that class, and it works very well for us." And so, at first, I would just I would try to push back. I would try to push against that. Um, objection and say, oh, well, sure, that's a great starting point, but there's so much more that we can offer, which is true. 
And then I realized, and and one of my senior partners uh, clued me in on this, um, what this college, and I'm, again, using that term purposefully, uh, what this, quote, college class uh, teaches isn't for people who make below about 40000 a year, and it's also not for people who make above about 60000 a year. Like this, this college course really is made for people who are in that sweet spot between 40 and 60. They know they don't make enough to, they, they, they know they make enough to generally meet all their needs, but they know they don't make enough to do all the things that they want to do. So, so maybe we make enough to put a roof over our heads and, and to buy food and to send our kids to, uh, to school, but we don't make enough to go on a week-long vacation every year. Because if we went on a week-long vacation, that ne- that's an extra about $1,000 a person is what it comes out to, um, that, that we need to save up somewhere and we don't have. And so this college class is really for that sweet spot, quote-unquote, sweet spot between 40000 a year and 60000 a year. If you make less than that, all this person is doing is taking money from you because there's no way it is scientifically proven in America. There's no way that you can save enough money to have an emergency fund. Is it good to have an emergency fund? Absolutely. Do you actually have enough money left over to have an emergency fund? Probably not. So many people... So many of the people that I sat down with uh, when I was first starting off my financial practice were making less than 40000 a year, and we would make a budget. That was one of the first things I did with every single person I met was we would make a budget just so I could have an understanding of where they were. And oftentimes, people would have $5 left over at the end of the month. That's not wiggle room. That's That's... That's a a rounding error is what that is. Um, That's not going out to to McDonald's because I forgot uh, lunch at home. That's going straight from home to work and back because I don't have enough money for gas to do anything else. That's not tithing. That's not saving. They would always say, I just need to to give up my Starbucks and then I'd I'd be a millionaire. (laughs) That's that's what everyone tells me. That's what, well, everyone's a liar and they're selling you something. And what they're selling you is their personal financial courses. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through, I've got the seven baby steps is what they're called to, um, I'm trying to think of an L word. To liberty in libations. No, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> that, that'd be something else. So, so we'll just, we'll go down the seven baby steps and, and again, these are, all of these are financially accepted best practices. Every single financial advisor in America dating back to the early 20th century will tell you these are all good things to do. This person did not come up with these. They just tied a bow on them, sold them to churches with a little bit of prosperity gospel saying that if you do these things then god will bless you that's prosperity gospel that's wrong anyway baby step number one says uh to start an emergency fund and specifically it says a thousand dollars to start an emergency fund that's a good thing i think we can all agree that we should have an emergency fund we should have a pool of money that we can tap into if, if, God forbid, our car breaks down, if, if uh, we have to go to the ER, if some sort of unexpected bill comes up, it's better to have cash set aside than to have to borrow from either a, a lender or a creditor or a friend or family member. The reason why that's unrealistic is what I was just saying. Um, a lot of people, just in America in general, don't have... 10% of their money to put aside at the end of the month. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, more people than any of us realize that have five, maybe $10 to put aside at the end of the month. 
And so that means that if I'm putting aside diligently every single month and not spending it on anything else ever, it's going to take me a hundred months to save up a thousand dollars if I've got $10 left over at the end of the month. Wow. Well, so, and I think um, if I can just like to, to add a little bit to this point, because I see um, a lot of recommendations of like, you know, getting second jobs or getting side gigs and like, that's all great. If you have the resources, if you have, you know, the ability, the time, but you know, when you're working a, another job or just quit and just get another job that can, you know, and it's almost like recommended as if it's like just that easy, snap your fingers and you can get another job or that everybody is able to, you know, go do um, what is like DoorDash and all that. And it's like, all these things take extra time. Some people have families. um, Some people are, you know, single parents and don't have the ability. Some people, when you think about having children, regardless of whether you're a single parent or um, both parents, just having, being able to like afford childcare to like, figure out, you know, how you're going to get all these second jobs. So it's like, it's, it's a lot more complicated. And I think that's like, would for me, where I think of like, who is this, this, these recommendations really benefiting? Are they really for like, it makes sense because it just, it doesn't always feasibly work out for some people. Um, yeah. Like getting creative and, you know, trying to do your best to like, you know, penny pinch or whatever, like that, those can all be good things, but to just make it like a snap of the finger and it's going to work for everybody. It's, it's, I think where it can be like really stressful and harmful for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not fair to say that anybody can save up a thousand dollars overnight. It's not fair to say that anybody can save up a thousand dollars in, in 10 months. Um, it's not easy, even if you're not buying Starbucks every day, even if you don't eat avocado toast, uh, every, every Saturday, even if you don't have bottomless mimosas on Sunday, it's not easy for everybody to save a thousand dollars. Um, the, the town that my family and I moved from to come to Kansas, the median income in town was... $42,000 a year, um, $42,000 a year for a dual income household. So that meant that both parents were working at least eight hours or more every single day. And they were making $42,000 a year. Now we moved from California. We moved from one of the cheap parts of California where a one bed, one bath house was $180,000. And that's without central air, that was without central heating, that was with with well plumbing, uh like like the the builder of the house drilled a well into the earth and was tapping into the water reservoir. Um $180,000 for a two bed one bath. And that was two two and a half years ago. That's expensive. That's not a dual income household house. Um, Most people in that town rented their homes because they didn't have the money to purchase a home. And again, saving $1,000 isn't as easy, like Sarah said, as just snapping your fingers and all of a sudden it's done. Uh, Oftentimes the people that we say these things to already know that they should be saving money. They don't need to be told save money. They need to be told, "Hey, here's how I'm going to how I'm going to help you achieve these goals." And no class full of baby steps is going to actually help you achieve these goals. Um that that takes a lot more work than just sitting back and saying, "Well, you should be doing the cash envelope method," which again is a generally well-accepted financial principle. That uh, the person who's selling this thing didn't come up with these terms. He just tied a bow on them and sold it to churches. That's all he did. Uh, again, it's good to have an emergency fund. It's good to have a thousand dollars to start an emergency fund, is what this person says. That's a great thing to do and to have. It's not as simple as simply just snapping your fingers. Now that's for people making below 40,000. For anybody making above 60,000 and actually I think the number now is 74,000. 
Again, scientifically, it's been proven that once you reach $74,000 a year for, uh, what is it, a, a household of four people is what it is, $74,000 a year means that you are completely financially stable across all areas. That is the American average. And Stacey, I see you shaking your head at me. Um, but that is the that is the American average. So this number will vary from from not just state to state, but even town to town. Uh, for example, my town, that number would be a little higher than even just a rural community 10 minutes south of us. Um, there's there's probably about a $15,000 difference between what my city looks like and any of our outlying rural communities. But generally speaking, for a family of four, $74,000 means that you should have enough. Again, this is American average, should have enough to pay for all your expenses and also save a little bit of money. You might still be using credit cards. You might still uh, have have car loans. You might still have uh, a couple of different avenues of debt. But generally speaking, yeah, money might be tight, but you're right here. You're you're in that sweet spot. Again, you're in that sweet spot where you don't have to take out loans for every single thing that happens. But also, depending on where you're at, things are a little harder for you. If you're just making $74,000 in Los Angeles, California, that's not enough for you. At the same time, if you're making $74,000 in a podunk town, Missouri, you've got way more money than you need. This is a moving average, right? My point here is that after a certain point, and again, you have to determine this for your family, after a certain point, $1,000 really is nothing to you. $1,000 really is hey, we can save that in three months. We can save that in two months. We can save that in five months. All of a sudden, your timeline becomes a lot more realistic and you're not having to do these baby steps one thing at a time because you can do all seven steps at a time. Does that, I, I need a little bit of affirmation from y'all. Um, yeah. So, that totally makes sense. Okay. I can see, like... That's $74,000. Yeah, my reason for it. Because, like, sometimes I feel like we're, we're gaining good ground in finances and stuff like that. And then you end up using your emergency fund. And then you maybe have something more than an emergency fund. Like, whatever happens is let's say your AC unit, you have to replace the entire AC unit. So that's more than your emergency fund if you've only got $1,000 right. in there. So then you're stuck. You had to take, you had to use that plus probably get a loan for the re remainder of it or something with your roof or whatever it is. Right. But, you know, then you're stuck paying another payment. Mm -hmm. And then so that what you had was maybe $74,000. Now you have another huge chunk of that being tapped out. And so it just spirals. Things yep. get out of, you know, your partner loses their job or has to take a pay cut or you now you have to, your partner is going back to work after a maternity leave, but you have to put a kid in childcare. And so there's all these different factors of, you know, they say you're just like one paycheck away from being homeless. And it's true, yeah. even if you have $74,000 for yearly income. And so I think there's like all these different factors that we have to take into consideration. Sometimes it's your employer is like, if you get employer insurance, or you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. from your insurance or employer, then sometimes the rates start increasing. Yep. or you pick the wrong plan for your family and right. you have a deductible plan. And so there's all these different little factors that you have to consider. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so that $74,000 in Missouri might be like, hey, we're rich, we're living it up. And then so- something happens and suddenly you are like. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And student debt, like, you know, loans and other things like that, that you have to account for. Um, or again, like childcare is ridiculous. I mean, there times where I was paying like a whole mortgage for two kids in childcare and then you're thinking of working and you're like well basically like half my paycheck is going to childcare mm-hmm. you know and it's like mm-hmm. it, it just the expenses just add up and add up and even if again you try to like get creative here and there to work it out I think it's also just like noticing the just the exhaustion and the anxiety that it just produces of just constantly trying to stay on top mm-hmm. because things are just so expensive you know, renting places. I mean, yep. it's crazy how much rent, um, you know, just to live, like cost of living in general. So, you know, I like when we're talking about some of these like ideas, it's like we're up against just like in some of our previous podcast episodes that we talked about like systemic issues that are are happening and we're trying to almost like slap a Band-Aid on it. Like this is a general approach that everybody can follow and you'll be you know great and free and debt free and that but we're not taking into account all these other factors that many people are just trying to climb things that you named Stacey like it's just it's sometimes it's really it's like an upward battle and this idea that like people just well, you're not trying hard enough or you know like almost like a shaming and very guilting mentality mm-hmm. and not realizing like what people are going through or what they're up against trying to just make ends meet every single day. Add into that, if they're really strapped for cash and they end up doing payday loans. And that's a whole nother, yes, that's a whole nother subject of, yeah. Yeah. I I, I love that we're naming this stuff because I think this this is part of what's going on that doesn't, get named, right? Like we say, oh, it's just about planning or, oh, it's just about um, making, quote unquote, the right decisions um, or, you know, quote unquote, tightening your belt straps uh, a little bit while you, there's so many quotes, while you sacrifice (laughs) um, to make a better future for you and your children. And it's just like, all of these are spoken from on high looking down even if you were somebody who was formerly poor or 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 impoverished in some way like we don't factor in the the mental cost of all of this we don't factor in the the emotional labor involved in all of this um yeah and it's hard it's really hard it's really messy um and for me it's it's the part where this conversation is the hardest. It's like, yeah, I know how to figure out a budget or whatever, or how to how to how to look up somebody to, to consult with. But will they understand when I'm like utterly frustrated and don't even want to think about this anymore? You know, will they be able to show up for me when this feels horrible <laughs> and impossible? And not just give me like a canned response of, you know, we just got to press through it. So I'm just airing my trauma. That's all. No, I, I love it. That's, that's what this is about is, is naming that trauma because the way that these seven baby steps are presented is push through the hard things and you'll get on to the better things. And again, that's not simply not true for everybody. Uh, Stacy, you mentioned that even at you know seventy four thousand dollars, people might still be living paycheck to paycheck, and that's absolutely true. Um, just because you can take out a loan and just because you can pay for it month to month at the lowest uh, payment rate, doesn't mean that it's comfortable, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a difference between what is what we can do. And what is comfortable to do. And I, we all want to be on the what's comfortable to do side of things. I can do a lot. I'm not going to feel comfortable doing a lot of that. Doing most of the things I can do. Um, and so, so again, these are kind of the two sides. On, on one side of it, 
these things are just unrealistic uh, for people who make less than a certain amount. On the other side, um, if you can do these things, you're probably A, already doing them, and B, you're doing them a lot better because there's actually very few people who live right on that line of of uh, comfort, so to speak. Um, the second baby step that this that this person points out is pay off all debt using the debt snowball. So there's there's two schools of thought with this. Uh, on the one side, people say that you should take your uh, lowest interest payment or your highest interest payment and pay that down to zero first. And on the other side, there are people that say you should take your lowest balance and pay that off first. So so look at it this way: you've got you've got five credit cards, range, ranging in interest from three percent. I would love to get a three percent credit card to fifty to fifty percent interest on a credit card. Okay, on one side of it, you're saying that you need to pay off the fifty percent interest credit card first. And then work your way down to the three percent credit card. Okay. On the other side of it, maybe that three percent credit card has ten thousand dollars worth of interest of of debt on it, while the fifty percent credit card has uh has has. Am I doing this right? <laughs> I can I, I I need to like write things out anyway. Uh, on on the one yes, side, get the whiteboard. Get the whiteboard. <laughs> I, I need a white. All my, all my stuff is packed up. All my stuff is packed up. Anyway, on, um, there's there's the there's the the three percent credit card that's got ten thousand dollars worth of interest, or the fifty percent credit card that's got ten thousand dollars worth of interest, and the three percent credit card that's got a hundred dollars worth of interest. So the other school of thought says that no, you need to pay down the hundred dollars first, and then whatever you were paying down for the hundred dollars put it towards the next one. And that's why it's called a snowball. Whatever you were paying off for that one card or that one debt, you then snowball it into the next thing. And then once you're done paying off that thing, you snowball it into the next thing. And that's the basic principle, right? However you choose to go about it, that's the basic principle. Once you're done paying the minimum on this one, you add the $50 or whatever you were paying for that card onto the next one and then onto the next one and then onto the next one. So that by the time you get to the end, you're paying $500 a month on, you know, some ridiculous amount of debt, which by the way, I've, again, I sat down with people who had $90,000 worth of credit card debt. And I'm like, who the hell gave you $90,000 credit lines? But whatever, that's, that's beside the point. Again, there's the, the debt snowball is not a, a bad thing. It's a well-accepted principle. Being in debt is not necessarily a good thing. We should strive to be out of debt. Um, one thing that, one specific thing I do want to point out is that this class, at least when, when I went through it 10 years ago or whenever it was, this class specifically used Bible verses saying that we should not be indebted to anybody. Um, that we should not owe our lives to anybody in, in some translations. That we should not be beholden to anybody in, in some translations. That is the wrong verse to use when it comes to debt. Okay. I'll explain why. When the Bible was written... They didn't just give credit lines. You didn't receive a credit card and were told, hey, you've got to make a minimum payment of $100 a month on the $4,000 that, that you just borrowed from our institution. No. What happened was you went to somebody and you said, I would like to purchase your field, but I don't have the money to purchase your field. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work for you for five years or I'm going to work for you for 10 years. And through my work, I will purchase your field so that at the end of the 10 years, I will have these thousand acres that I worked my ass off to, quote, purchase from you. The, the whole idea here is that once you came into that agreement, that land was essentially yours. You are you had the right to work that land, you had the right to use that land, okay? 
but you still had this debt to pay for the person you took this land from, which meant that you had to work your land and you were also a servant, and actually the word that the Bible uses is slave, to this other person. If you didn't hold up your end of the bargain, the person that you purchased, quote-unquote, purchased a field from, this, these thousand acres from, had every legal right to take back the land from you and also force your family to work for them. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of, I'm going to work this land and I'm going to pay you a portion of the proceeds. It was, my life is in your hands now. I am giving you control over my life and by extension my family's lives because I want this land from you. So when the biblical writer said don't be in debt to anybody, they weren't saying don't take out a credit card. And they weren't saying don't get out a car loan. And they weren't saying don't get out a mortgage. What they were saying is don't put your life in somebody else's hands. Because, and again, what we saw, what we see again, time and time again in the Bible is that people take advantage of this. People say, well, we actually, we didn't agree for 10 years. And actually a, a famous story from the book of Genesis, um, uh, the, the person who is selling says, well, I know we agreed for seven years, but actually I'm going to require that you give me another seven. So when the biblical writers were saying, don't be in debt to anybody. That's exactly what they were talking about was don't be a slave to somebody else. If you don't have to sell yourself to somebody, don't do it. It might mean that, and I know I'm, I'm saying I'm using some triggering, some triggering language right now. And so I, I am sorry for that. But what that is saying is if you don't have the, if, if I had to sell my soul to purchase a car, I'd be better off walking. Instead, I can promise to pay $300 a month, whatever it is I pay for for my car. Um, I promise to pay $300 a month. And if I don't do it, the bank takes the car. The bank doesn't take me. The bank doesn't take my children. The bank takes the car back. This is a different principle than what the Bible talks to. Okay. Again, we should all strive to be out of debt. We should all strive to, if, if I can purchase a car for $10,000 cash, I should purchase a car for $10,000 cash. However, that's not the way our world works. Most of us don't have $1,000 to start an emergency fund, much less $10,000 to purchase a car. And really $10,000 nowadays is either going to get you like, a Chevy Cruze, which I have, I know from firsthand experience is a terrible car or <laughs> some, some 20 year old, you know, Nissan Altima or something like it's not, it's not going to give you a valuable car. What'd you say, Sarah? Uh, to me, like the, uh, buying an old car, which is commonly recommended too, but then you need that savings to be able to maintain it to, to like, you know, right. because old cars just take, take maintenance. Right. And, and and for I the record, like at, having an old car, my car is like two thousand eight. Yeah. Well, and and for the record, I'm gonna like at at the end of this, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a couple of of good, I think, general principles that we should all, um, and that I'm working towards implementing in my life. Also, um, but yeah, it means that you're you're buying an old car that now takes money to keep up. <laughs> So anything you saved by not getting a car loan is might you know might be going into into something else. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, baby step three: you should have three to six months of expenses and savings. Again, this is a a well accepted principle. You should have money saved up for a rainy day. What happens if you get fired or laid off from your job? Like we saw, uh, you know, millions happened to millions of people uh, in, in 2020, you should have six months of expenses saved up in savings. Um, again, this this isn't necessarily how much money, this doesn't have to be how much money you bring into the house. 
excuse me, this is just how much money you're spending every single month. So that's rent, utilities, car notes, loans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like Stacy pointed out, this ends up being that because we're living month to month, paycheck to paycheck, we're saving up. We, we should have 4,000 times six months, you know, 3,000 times six months, whatever your, whatever your monthly income is, is typically what's going right back out. And you should have that saved up in, in, in a savings account somewhere. Again, not a bad thing. This is a great thing to do. This is a very good goal to, to strive for. Also not realistic for most Americans because it's just not. Even, even if you're single and you, you drink all your coffee at home and you grow your avocados in the backyard and you make your, you grow <laughs> your own wheat and you mill it and you, you, you make your own bread every single morning to toast out in the sun under a refracted mirror. <laughs> yes. Who thought going, this out? Off the grid, I right? Have, completely right? off the grid. Yeah. Even if you're living like a hermit <laughs> and you're <laughs> single, you, probably still don't have all that much money in savings or to to put aside into savings much less three to six months i mean think about it if you're making we'll make it easy if you're making five thousand dollars a month and you're putting aside ten percent into savings to save up and and you're spending five thousand dollars a month every single month then it's going to take you 10 months to save up five thousand dollars if you want to put aside six months worth of expenses, which again are $5,000, then you're going to need 10 months times six. You're like, you need five years to save up six months of savings. Again, that's unrealistic. <laughs> but the part that, but these baby steps, this program uh, doesn't tell you that because they make money off of saying if you just follow these seven steps, you will find your something liberty. I, I need I need <laughs> I need an L word. I don't want to use the two F words that they have. You will find your I'll I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Y'all y'all get what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do some other um, synonyms. <laughs> synonyms, yeah. We we I need a synonyms for finance, uh, an L synonym for finance. Um, moving on, baby step four: invest fifteen percent of household income into Roth IRA and pre-tax retirement. Again, great, 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 fantastic, fantastic principle. But now I'm having to put aside a thousand dollars to start an emergency fund. I also have to I also have to put aside at least ten percent for to save six months worth of expenses and savings and now i'm also putting an extra 15 percent of all my income into retirement account so i'm up at 30 percent saving so that means that if i'm a family of five living off of five thousand dollars a month i actually need to learn how to live off of thirty five hundred dollars a month that's if you're doing them all at once if you're doing them all at once, right? Which, which ideally, ideally, you again, the, what the program says is you do them one at a time. What the program teaches is that you do them all at once. Interesting. That's right. So, so these are seven baby steps that you can do, and and you're supposed to start with a thousand dollars. And then you're supposed to pay off all debt and then you're supposed to do this and then you're supposed to do that. But, and, and the founder of this, of this college, quote, quote, college will say this. If you can't start saving a thousand dollars for your emergency fund, then it probably means that you've got too much debt. And so you need to pay off your debt. So now I'm trying to save a thousand dollars and also paying off debt. So like they, the baby steps very easily and quickly become a snowball. And, and I'll, 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 it becomes a little more clear with five, six, and seven with baby steps, five, six, and seven, which are, uh, baby step five is college funding for children. Um, do y'all know how much it costs to send a, a child to college on a four year 
public school in-state tuition right now? It's too much. That's how much it Way costs. Too much. I, too I much. can't even. It was too much when I went through it. So I can't even imagine right now. Right now, in-state tuition, uh, and this is tuition, room and board, adds up to around $100,000. Public. Saved. Yeah, that's what I was for public. In-state, yeah. Yeah, in-state tuition, because that's $25,000 a year. Damn. So tuition itself might be 10000 but then books are going to be another five, and then room and board is going to be another 10 a year. So suddenly for a four-year degree, you've gone from, 20, from a $10,000 tuition to $100,000. Now, most kids are going to get scholarships. Most kids are going to get grants. Most kids are going to get some sort of government aid. Um, but what this college says, what this uh, libatious liberty program says, is that you need to have enough college funding set aside for your children to pay for college 100% if need be. Now, again, we've started with, we started with $1,000 for an emergency fund. Now we also need to save, to save for five years to get six months worth of expenses. And our kids are just getting older. <laughs> and so I can't wait five years to start their, to start their college fund. Suddenly I'm, I'm. Again, I'm putting aside now, let's call it 40% of whatever I'm bringing home, I'm putting aside into savings. And all of it is good. All of it is solid. All of it we should do. And I want to stress that. All of it is a well-accepted financial principle. It's not realistic. This is why uh, minority communities especially have programs in place to help students uh, play sports is because through a sport, you can get a scholarship. This is why minority communities have programs in place to teach students how to write essays for college, because a well-written essay from a minority student will help you get better scholarships. Now, I saw, I, I saw on, on Facebook this week somebody complaining about the fact that all the low-income students get more scholarships and, and colleges just expect middle-class people to pay for their kids' college. And I'm like, yeah, because you can. And the, par the particular person who was saying this, I really wanted to laugh because they're also not middle-class. <laughs> they have four different properties all across the U.S., three vacation homes and they consider themselves middle class. I'm like, honey, you're not middle class. And if you think you're middle class, maybe you do need a little bit of uh, libatious freedom here because you, you're doing something wrong with your money. If you've got three vacation homes and each one of your kids, each one of your older kids went through college already and they each have two homes and you're sitting here complaining about the fact like you think you're middle class, you're not middle class. So it's again, the entitlement for me. <laughs> again these aren't these are good principles to have we should help our children pay for college how are we going to do that it's probably going to be loans so now i've got to take three steps back you guys following me <laughs> mm -hmm. now i've got to take three steps back to baby step number two because now I have more debt that I need to snowball to pay off. Mm. Well, he could just, the, the dad could just get another job. Right. The dad could. And all. the mom could cut back on Starbucks. Mail apart appointments yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. All those pink taxes. Just get the man versions of them so you right? can save money and send your kid to college. Exactly. Yep. Just get the man version of tampons and, and pads. and Exactly. You know then your kid will be able to go to college because we're not all eating avocado toast on Sunday. Avocado. Avocado. Price of avocado then went up when that avocado. Mm -hmm. Hey, I did have some avocado toast this weekend, though. It was good. It was not bad. I, wanna, 
I want to make a yeah, comment yeah. about yeah. this baby step five. Um, if you're reading this college website about the baby steps, <laughs> I hate this comment, it says, and I know that they're trying to be funny and everything, but it's rude as hell. And it oh, no. says, next, it's time to save for your children's college expenses. That is, if they can make it through Algebra 2 and Chemistry unscathed. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, yeah. that's... It's also very, enti- again, it's the entitlement. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, anyway. Yeah, sorry, no, abs- abs- absolutely. Out. But, <laughs> again, it's it's the entitled, if I did yeah. it, anybody can. Uh, and I think I've mentioned it before, but the person who who packaged this up did not do it. Actually, their parents, the, this this man's parents, were successful real estate uh, investors, and they gave him a million dollars when he turned twenty one. I think it was twenty one, maybe twenty two, to invest in real estate himself. And the reason oh, why he even it, started that was such a struggle. I'm sure it was such oh a gosh. struggle. And what made him. What his come to Jesus moment was when he realized that he was 27 with $10 million worth of debt, of real estate debt, and he only had $12 million in assets. So his net worth was $2 million in the positive, and he just looked at his life, and I'm literally quoting from his autobiography. Wow. And he looked at his life and thought, this isn't the way that God intended me to live. That that was his come to Jesus. Like this this person is so far removed from reality. So for him, I mean, it's his reality. It's his right. It's his reality. The reality of Of most average American in this country. Right. Already in the negative and doesn't you know, parents are in debt and debt has just been a part of or poverty growing up and just poverty has just been ingrained in just how you grew up and right. We're already starting like an uphill battle like carrying a whole mount heavy suitcase or mm-hmm. something crazy like it's mm-hmm. just yeah yep it's, it's a struggle i mean I, yep. I i look at some of the the advice as benefiting and like being great and all but also recognizing like just different um, I think barriers that I had that just made it really, really difficult to follow and to feel the guilt of like, well, I'm just not doing enough or I'm not following, you know, the rules because I think it can get real legalistic real quick. And Absolutely. people who um, tend to follow these rules get very like, well, you're not doing it the right way or you're not, you know, in some of the, you know, groups that, you know, p- people follow the same advice. Um, real judgy and just real like real toxic like really yep. really quick I mean yep. just like kind of some of the other like you know evangelical legalistic type of things that yep. are like this is the only way to live life and it's like, well not. no it's really not because yep. we all are different and you kind of have to look at finances the way you would your health and all that and like yep. it has to be kind of like an individual approach based on exactly. your your own individual needs absolutely and again for the person who wrote this starting a thousand dollar emergency fund was as simple as taking part of the rent from one of their properties for one month and putting it into a bank account and that was his emergency fund must be nice it must be nice and paying off all his debt was and again i'm quoting from his autobiography paying off all his debt was selling off the properties that were just sitting empty that was paying off his debt and he had $2 million left over. Saving three to six months of expenses was taking those $2 million and sticking 10000 20000 whatever it was, into the bank. And then he put another 15% into a Roth IRA and pre-tax retirement, which actually wasn't a Roth IRA, it was a conventional IRA. And uh, again, the reality that, that... The reality that these seven baby steps try to present is not in fact reality for most people. And then, you know, pay off home early is baby step number six. Again, I think everybody, if if we could, would love to pay off our mortgages 
a year early or five years early or 15 years early. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing to do, but if I'm already putting aside uh, 10% into savings, if I'm already uh, uh, doing this, the debt snowball, if I'm already putting 15% into uh, retirement accounts, if I'm already helping my kids pay for college, where am I finding the wiggle room to pay off my home early? At one point, something's got to give. What'd you say? It's almost as if it's presented in like a very linear way, as if if you do this and then you can move on to the next and that's going to happen and you move on. But it's like life doesn't work in a linear way. So the way you're naming things as if like you are on, you know, one certain step and then you blow through your emergency fund and then you have to go all the way back or something happens or COVID or, <laughs> I mean, just, just life in general and feeling like you're like bouncing back and forth. So it's like, who does actually make it through step by step by step all the way to seven? Like who, who are those people? It's people who are making six figures. And that's as bluntly as I can put it. Somebody who's making $80,000 or $90,000 a year is bouncing around a little bit. Even people who are making $150,000 a year are bouncing around a little bit. And I know that seems very removed from reality from a lot of places um, because it's it's $150,000. How are they bouncing around? Well, uh, people who are making $150,000 are in this other weird spot where they're too entitled to ask for help. And not entitled enough that people are falling over their, over themselves to help them out. Like like investment advisors who are working with six figure six figure incomes aren't going for the hundred fifty thousand dollar people. They're going for the seven hundred thousand dollar folks. They're going for the million dollar a year folks. I know because I worked next to advisors who did that. And they didn't even want to look at people making less than $250,000 a year. Um, and again, you you get into this, you get into this pattern of, of living paycheck to paycheck, whether you want to or not. Because when you got when you got the promotion, you went and bought a bigger house. And and when you got the pay raise, you went and bought a better car and you you made bad decisions. Because again, these baby steps are good principles. They're, they're just not realistic as step one, step two, step three, step four. Um, and they're good principles to have. And life gets ahead of us. Sarah, like you said, life gets ahead of us. And suddenly I had to use my $1,000 emergency fund because uh, my my car broke down and I need new tire. And my tires happen to cost $100 each. And I need four new ones. So now I need to take a month out of saving for expenses and put it into my emergency fund, right? Like it, it's it's this mentality that suddenly I feel like I'm failing because I took six months off of saving for my retirement. And all the studies show that if you if you wait a year, if you wait five years, if you wait 10 years, then you've got to put $1,000 more a month into retirement. You've got to put $10,000 more a year into retirement, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's all just ridiculous. And hopefully this class says, this college says that if you get to baby step number seven, then you can just build wealth and give, which is a great, great, great mentality to have. It's great to have wealth. It's great to have extra money laying around. It's great to be able to to say to your church, hey, if we need uh, a new set of chairs to replace our pews, I can give you the $100,000 check. Like, that is fantastic. And one of my life goals is to be able to to drive around right around uh, right around Christmas. And this is, this is literally one of my life goals, to be able to drive around right around Christmas and, and see the, the people who are out with signs saying, I just want to give my kids a good Christmas and take them on a shopping spree. Like, I, I want to do that. I want to be able to to give to every uh, uh, house uh, person in, uh, in in shelter difficulties. I forget what the what the term is for it. Um, 
but people without shelter, I want to say to every single one of them, hey, here is something that I can that 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 you you can have. You can have without any strings attached, without anything. Building wealth and giving is the mm-hmm. is the important part. Is a good thing. Building wealth and hoarding, uh, like you know, we see we see mega billionaires do, is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. I would love to be like Oprah, who gave away so much of her wealth that she is no longer a billionaire. I'd love to be like Dolly Parton, who has never been anywhere close to being a billionaire because she gives away so much of her wealth. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be making, I'm ever going to be worth $500 million. But it's nice to dream that I could have been a billionaire had I not given $500 million away. Again, these aren't bad principles to have. These are all good things to have. These are all good things to to do and say and and have in the back of our minds. Um, but there is there is a a solution for all of these. Okay, throw them out the window. <laughs> Forget about the baby steps. Because unless you're making two to three to four times what you're currently making right now, you're probably never going to achieve all seven baby steps. And that's okay. If if you're listening to this and you've been needing somebody to tell you that it's okay, that you don't have six months worth of expenses in the bank, I'm telling you right now, it's okay that you don't have six months worth of expenses in the bank. It's fine. It's okay if you're not saving for retirement. It's okay if you can't help your kids pay for college the way you want to. It's okay if you can't just give a home to every uh, uh, sheltered person with shelter difficulties on the street. Um, what we can do are are three kind of simple things. First, we can we can save something. We can save anything. Um, Think about it in terms of of your car, okay? You you insure your car because your car was worth $10,000 or $20,000 or $50,000, whatever it's worth. You insure your car because you want to make sure that if anything happens to your car, uh, your car will be okay and, and you will be able to to either purchase a new car or repair your car. Uh, even if, if it's totaled, you will have some sort of way to get around. So... Take care of yourself and start saving for yourself in that way. If you work, get third-party disability insurance. The way that works is they take the. I'll, I'll speak for my for my experience. The way we did it in my company is we would take somebody's. Uh, I, I would actually just ask for a pay stub for most recent pay stub. And insure 80% of their total annual salary. So if you're making $100,000 a year, we would insure up to, actually, I think it was 85%. Oh, we would insure up to $85,000 if you're making $100,000 a year. And then you would pay out, I can't even think of a number, $60 a month. You would pay into this insurance so that if ever happened that, uh, that you had some sort of traumatic event where you had to be out of work or you were disabled in any sort of way for three months or more, then this insurance would kick in and it would start paying you out. The way this works, the way a good third-party disability insurance works is that if you so much as cut off your finger, say say me, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, I can do without my pinky finger, okay? However, Technically, not having a pinky finger is a disability. So my third-party disability insurance would start paying me out 85% of what I make every single month. That's how a good disability insurance works, is even if you can still make a living, it is paying you because you paid for the insurance. Okay? And I see, I see nodding, nodding heads. I can get into specifics, but I'm short on time. 
disability insurance. Um, if, if you need recommendations, I've got a great financial advisor who will work with you. I love her. I trained her. Um, she is, she is fantastic. And secondly, life insurance, get life insurance for every single person in your family. And, and I'm talking both parents, even if one parent doesn't work, get life insurance for both spouses and then also get life insurance for your children. All three of my children have life insurance. Uh, our fourth child on the way will also have life insurance. Not because I hope that anything bad happens to any of us. Like that is, I pray every single night that nothing ever happens and that, and that our, my great grandchildren will be the ones benefiting from my life insurance. But if something does happen to me, I know that my wife has money to take care of herself and our children. She has money to, to pay off our house. She has money to put into our kids' college accounts. Um, she has money even to, to sit around for a year or two and mourn my loss. And I think she's in the other room and I hope she's laughing right now. Um, but she But she will be taken care of. Likewise, despite the fact that she doesn't work outside the home, she, she is a stay-at-home mom, she also has life insurance because if something happens to her, I will now have to figure out what to do with three about-to-be-four children. Now, two of them are about to go into public school, but there's still two others. There's a lot of value that she brings to the household, even beyond just... I say just very loosely taking care of kids. And likewise with each one which with each one of our children they each have life insurance because god forbid something happened but more than that it's set up in a way that it in and of itself acts as a college fund for them. And again we can get into specifics be sure to throw us an email uh if if you want to set up a time to talk and I can I can run through all this with you. So again save all right put aside any any amount of money you can put aside money into disability insurance into life insurance that is that is all one step that is all one thing that that everybody here needs to do and secondly um figure out where your money's going this is the scary part this is the part that that even that i cringe at every single time my wife says hey i was doing our budget and i i realized some things and i'm like babe i know <laughs> <laughs> because I because I also do the budget and it's terrifying but mm -hmm. as terrifying as it is figure out where your money's going oftentimes we're paying into stuff that we don't even realize that we can save on for example I might not realize that yeah I'm only going to McDonald's once a week but I'm spending $20 every time I go to McDonald's so at the end of the month, that's $100 at McDonald's that I could have saved by just bringing a sandwich home from home, right? Like, like these are little things and it kind of sounds like avocado toast, but I'm not saying that you're going to be able to pay off all your debt if you do this. I'm just saying figure out where your money's going. If you're okay with spending $100 at McDonald's every month, cool, fine, do it. I don't care. If you realize that, hey, maybe instead of $100 McDonald's, I can put $100 into a retirement account. Great. Do it. If you say, I want to put 50 into a retirement account and 50 at the gym, do that. If you say, I like, I literally don't care what you, what you do with it, but figure out where your money's going. That's a process called budgeting, where you take how much money you make and you put it in one column. And then in the other column, you put out and you list out all of your expenses. If you live in the 21st century and you use a bank, your bank does this for you automatically. Most people don't know this. Your bank budgets your money automatically. They, they keep track of where every single cent goes. And it's usually through an online portal, portal that you can access from your phone. And you can see that, oh, hey, last month I spent $100 at McDonald's. And your bank tells you that. And it looks like over the last 12 months, I've spent $80 a month on utilities. And your bank tells you that. Because again, we live in the 21st century and technology really is truly a beautiful thing. There's a lot of different ways to do this. 
If you need help with this, uh, please reach out, send us an email. I am more than happy to sit down with people. Um, I can, I can help you. I can help you create a budget. I can, I can, I have budget templates that we can talk through. I can do it for you. And that is unfortunately something that I have to charge for because I value my time. Um, but I can build you your your budget. I can help you figure out where it is with your bank. I can like we can walk through all these things. You're not alone in this. And just because you're not you're you're still trying to figure out baby step number one, 10 years after you started the 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 financial liberation college. <laughs> Don't, don't think about it. I'm, I, I'm, I'll come up with something. Um, but even if you're still on baby step number one, 10 years after you read through the book and you went through the class with your church, it's okay. And we can work through these things and you're not alone. There's a lot of financial advisors out there who do a lot of consulting for free. My, uh, For example, my financial advisor makes her money off of investments and actually, actually, it is mostly investments now, I think. Um, but consulting is is generally free with a good financial advisor. It's free um, with uh, there's a lot of services that are available out there and money is a scary thing and finances are terrifying and it's not easy to talk about them. And, our, and your blood pressure might have gone up while I'm talking about all these things. I know mine did. My heart rate is up. I'm sweating bullets. And that might just be because the room's hot. Um, but it might also be because this is a stressful topic. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, we are in this together. We are a community. We are we are people who, who need to love each other. We are people who need to live life together and and hopefully one day we can all just uh, have we'll we'll have a church leaders roundtable podcast conference and and we'll bring all our wisdom in a series of panel discussions and keynote speeches at a conference one day and i believe that's one hour that's all i've got for today folks somebody somebody <laughs> take us out and that's been our episode of the Church Leaders Roundtable. So follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. Email us. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Exactly in this space because there's no other room <laughs> other than what's in this shot. We can, Darren, we can share a bed. It's fine. Oh, I'm not worried about that part. <laughs> the Bible said, "Flee from the appearance of evil." <laughs> so I don't know where Stacy and Sarah are gonna sleep. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, I saw this one TikTok, and then we can start recording. I saw this one TikTok. Oh, we are recording. We are already started. One TikTok. It said, you know, in the in the the lawyer voice, if you are a cishet white man, you may be entitled. <laughs> <laughs> you may be entitled. <laughs> <laughs>